You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We are walking through the book of Esther. Esther is a book about the providence of God, that God has a plan and a purpose, and he's going to work that purpose to effect. And what we can learn, there's tons of lessons from Esther we can learn, but ultimately we need to learn that God is working in all of the situations of our life. But there may be times in your life, there may have been a moment or a season in your life where you felt that God was late. Have you ever felt that way? that God's late. I live with someone who is perpetually late, okay? All of my kids who ride with my wife. It's the kids, I'm sure, uh, right? Uh, I, I, and so, like, I can be at something, and I know that my family is going to come along behind me eventually, right? They're, but, but they're late, and so I can be like, man, why are they late? What's going on with this? Maybe you felt that way about God before, that he's late to what you need. You have a crisis. There's been a wrong done, and it needs to be rectified now, right? There needs to be justice now. There needs to be a solution now. We are not a patient people, right? I know this because Tuesday night at like, well, I guess Wednesday morning at about 1 a.m., whenever I went to bed after watching election results for, you know, three or four hours, I was like, I would just like to have an answer, right? I just want to know what, what, what's going on. We're not a patient people. If we go through the drive-thru and there's four cars in front of us, we get upset, Right? We're not a patient people. And then when things have happened against us, when we've been victimized or wronged, we want immediate retribution. We want immediate justice. We want the wrongs to be righted. And if you know anything about what God is about, He is a just God. And that means He writes wrongs. That's one of the things that He does. It's what makes Him a just God is that when there's something wrong, we can trust that no matter what happens, God is going to make it right. But sometimes he's so slow to do it from our perspective, right? Sometimes we, 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 we wait for years for wrongs to be righted. And when we wait in that time period, right, we, we, we have to walk faithfully, but, but it's hard to wait in that time period. We're going to talk about that today. We're going through the book of Esther, and Esther is, uh, we're in the middle of Esther. We should be at the climax of Esther, really. If you're reading the book, last week, as we were going through, there's a plot to kill all of the Jews by one of the leaders in Persia. And, and uh, that plot has been discovered, or really broad, broadly proclaimed, that it's going to happen. Um, and so, um, there, the, the queen, who is Jewish, her name is Esther, the title of the book, the heroine in the book, um, she has an opportunity to work to stop that. And so last week, she was buttering up the king and the man who's plotting for the demise of her people and working that process. And, and the next day, she's going to have a second meal with those two men, and then she's going to express what her deep desire is, what her, her heart desires, that the king wants to give her. The king is wanting to give her what she wants, though he doesn't know what that is, nor does uh, the enemy in the story, the villain in the story, Haman. And Haman goes home, the villain in the story, and as he goes home, after having the best night of his life, eating dinner with the king, which he probably had never done before, and will only do one more time in his life, right, a fairly unique moment in his life, he goes home feeling great. It's the best day of his life, 
And then the guy that he hates, the enemy in his heart, this guy Mordecai, who's related to Esther, uh, looks at him and doesn't give him respect, right? Rodney Dangerfield style, he can't get no respect from, from this Haman guy, okay? I'm supposed to pull on the collar, I think. That's a thing, right, for Dangerfield? Um, yeah, something. Yeah, oh, there's a necktie, right, even if it's not there. That's, that's Dangerfield's thing. Okay, um, you can go watch that later, okay? But, uh, the, you know, he goes home, and all of a sudden he went from joy to rage because this man didn't respect him as he went by, and he came up with a plan. He says, tomorrow morning, before I go to dinner with the king again and the queen, look at me, I'm just going to kill this guy. And so we had this massive gallows built 75 feet high. It's going to be a full spectacle to kill uh, this man. And he goes to bed that night and sleeps soundly knowing that, that, that death is coming. He rises early the next morning um, to go and get an audience with the king so that he can make sure that he can get it done. Because even if you're the second most powerful person in the town, you still can't be killing people publicly without like the stamp of approval from the king. And so we pick up the story, and it looks like the story's going to go murder, dinner, salvation. But God had a different plan in mind. Esther chapter 6, and this is what it says. It says, on that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, nothing's been done for him. And the king said, well, who is in the court? And Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men said, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come in. Right? So, so Haman has just built uh, this, this gallows. He's coming to see the king to go and get uh, the execution notice. He's probably got it all written out. Hey, sign here, initial here, date here. Now we got a guy executed. Right? And, and the name on the execution notice, Mordecai. And the king, for some reason can't sleep that night, right? Just, just happens to not sleep. By the way, the fact that he happens to not sleep is not happening. That's God providentially removing sleep from the king. And the king of Persia, who could have any diversion he wanted, he could have had one of his countless concubines or wives brought in to entertain him in a variety of ways. He could have had uh, you know, storytellers or jugglers or any entertainment that was allowed at the time, musicians to come in and entertain him while he can't sleep. But for some reason, in his mind, he thought, what do I want right now? And he said, I just want to hear the most boring book on earth. Go get the boring book, right? And then so the guy goes and gets the boring book, and it's literally just a book of this guy did this on this day. Next story. This guy did this on this day. Next story. If you want to hear what it's like, just open to Second Chronicles and just start reading. I don't know. Just pick, pick a page, stick a finger down, and just start reading. And tell me how riveted you are. Right? And I'm not, I'm not downplaying the, the beauty and the majesty of Second Chronicles. I'm just saying when you read through the Bible, when you get to Chronicles, you start reading a whole lot faster. Right? A whole lot faster. Uh, next page. 
right? Like Chronicles is tough. It's a slog because it repeats, it repeats, it repeats, it repeats. This is the book the king got. It was his version of it, not our version of Chronicles. It was the Chronicles of the kings of Persia, and it deals with the things that had gone on during his reign as king, possibly his dad. But out of all the books, all the scrolls that the guy could have picked up for the Chronicles, he happened to grab the scroll that contained the deed that was done two or three years later by Mordecai, the man who's supposed to be getting murdered. And he just happens to have that story as where the guy's finger started on the page. He's like, and we'll start here. He's like, Mordecai discovered a plot by two of your guys to kill you. If it's the VeggieTale versions, they were going to drop a a piano on his head, by the way. That's the way that story was going to go there. We don't really know what they were going to do, how they were going to kill him, what the plan exactly was uh, to kill uh, King Ahasuerus. But there was a plot to kill the king. Mordecai had snuffed it out. Esther chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, talks about him discovering that plot. And then years go by. And during those years, Mordecai, who should have been recognized, right? If, if you save the life of the most powerful man in the world at that time, right? You should get some sort of recognition, a parade, a medal, a badge. I don't know, something that says, hey, look at what this guy did. Pretty great, right? And so the king, after he heard the story again, he's like, I remember that. What did we do for him? I don't remember how, we, what did we do for Mordecai? What did we give him? And the guy's like, nothing. The king's like, well, that's not okay. It's not okay not to give something because that's a wrong that I haven't fixed, right? And so he's going to rectify that wrong. He's going he's gonna to fix it today. And, and, and Ahasuerus is a broken pagan king. But in the midst of that, we see that he, he, he shows us a little bit about how God works, right? God may be long in coming around to what we think is rectifying a wrong, but he, he's working to rectify all wrongs. Anything that's ever been done against you, any word that's been spoken against you, any, 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 any harm that has come against you uh, that was a cause of sin, God will rectify. That's what he does. He rectifies all wrongs. It may not be when you want it, right? It may not be lightning bolt from heaven got the guy who cut you off in traffic, right? But that guy who cut you off in traffic going 95 down the road, God's going to get him, okay? I don't know how he's going to get him. I'm not here. Sometimes it happens, right? You're driving down the road, and the cop gets him right there, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> That's, hey, you deserve that, right? It doesn't matter that you were going 10 over. It's that he was going 20 over. That he deserved it. You, grace, him, law, right? But, but, but like, sometimes we see justice given, but sometimes we don't. Right? Sometimes it takes years, and sometimes, guys, just sometimes, so you know, you will not experience justice on this side of eternity. But God will bring justice. That is a promise from Scripture. He's a just God, and no wrong will be un, um, unpunished, and no right will go unrecognized. Because God is just and holy. And so it may not be on this side of eternity that all wrongs are solved, but I promise you they will be solved and solved adequately to fit your needs because God rectifies all wrongs. Ahasuerus takes it in his mind to rectify the wrong 
of not honoring Mordecai. And so he calls Haman and Haman, who's come to tell Ahasuerus, hey, let's kill this Mordecai guy. And he walks in and we pick up in verse 6. It says, so Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, well, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has written, and on whose head uh, is a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. This is, this is a, a chock full of irony. We don't always read the Bible the way it's supposed to be read. We read it very detached from reality. This is a funny story. It's supposed to make you smile at the irony of what's going on. It's okay, by the way, to read the Bible and be like, because <laughs> right? Haman goes in wanting to kill a guy, shows up, king, and the king's like, what should I do for the man I want to honor? And Haman's like, well, I know who you want to honor. He's being coy with me, right? It's the, hey, I know a guy who's got a problem, doctor. Can you tell me how we can fix this problem, right? And the doctor's like, you know a guy who's got a problem. Yeah, right, right? Like, so, so Haman's like, I know he's talking about me. He's just being coy about how he's talking about me. And so Haman says, this is what you should do. And he goes for like the thing that he has everything else. Like Haman literally has nothing that he wants. The only thing Haman is missing is the honor that the king has. He's second in command to the king. And so he says, man, put on the king's robe that he's worn. And here's the deal. If you wear the robe of the king in that time and that day, it was a sign of like kingly authority being vested on you. It's a big ask. It's not like, hey, can I wear your hand-me-down clothes? It's a big ask. It's something that's hard um, to give to somebody. And he says, and also a horse that the king has ridden, right? And that's the same idea, right? If the king has ridden it and now you're riding it, and the horse was obviously distinctive, right? I'm, I don't know horses that much. Um, they all kind of look the same unless they're different colors. Um, but, but there's something distinctive about the king's horses, probably horses from a specific spot. And they put a crown on the horse. That's weird, right? Tie a knot in the hair on top of the horse, put a crown on the horse. And so he's going he's gonna to have this horse uh, with the crown on it. He's going to be wearing the robe of the king. The horse is going to go before him. It's a parade, by the way. The horse is before He's not even riding the horse. The horse is in front of him, and he's behind the horse walking around like, see the king? He, he's leading me through the parade here. Right? The, the king is taking me through the town. And he says, man, this is how it's supposed to be. He has no idea that he's setting up his enemy to be honored above him. Mordecai, a man who hates not being honored, is giving honor to the person that he's trying to kill that, that morning. Right? He has no idea that that's what's going on. None whatsoever. He is totally, totally blinded to it. But here, here's what's neat about that story, right? that part of the story, is God is using this pagan king and this wicked leader to accomplish what his purpose is. Right? God uses all people of all types to accomplish what it is that he wants to get done. Whether it's a, a leader who is godly and holy and righteous, or whether it's someone who's wicked and, and has no understanding of what God is trying to accomplish, God will use them to do what God wants 
done. Right? That's how God used Nebuchadnezzar just you know, about 60 years before this right? To, 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 to bring Daniel and his friends over and to protect them and not to destroy Jerusalem entirely. Right? God used that wicked king to do his purposes. God used this king's dad, Darius, um, to let the Jews go back home to Jerusalem, a wicked king who has no neither. And God used a, a pagan king, Ahasuerus, to come up with a plan to honor the people of Israel in the person of Mordecai. And he used a wicked, evil, nothing good about him leader named Haman to come up with the best way to do that. And I want you to know if God can use Haman and Ahasuerus to accomplish his purposes, he can probably use you too. In fact, he wants to use you. He desires to use you for his purposes. That is a beautiful thing that God uses all people to accomplish the purposes that he has before him. And continuing on in verse 10, it says, Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horses you have said, and do to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. That's a punch in the gut for old Haman. He says, Leave out nothing that you mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and he led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done, to the man whom the king delights to honor. And then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and his friends everything that had happened to him. And then the wise men, his friends, and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, uh, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Right, so, so Haman has this plan. He thinks he's going to get this honor, and then the king just pulls the rug right out from under him. <clears throat> he didn't, he, not only does he not get to execute Mordecai this day, he has to walk him around the neighborhood. He, personally, not some other person, not some page, not some courier, not some second-rate politician. He himself, the second most powerful man in Persia, has to walk the horse with Mordecai behind and say, this is the man the king delights to honor, and he will do this to those who he honors. Mordecai is being honored, and Haman is being shamed, and that is the beauty of what God can do. He humiliates his enemies. He doesn't just bring them under judgment. He doesn't just uh, you know, give them a, a righteous judgment. There is humiliation that goes alongside the proud who oppose God in their hearts. But the humiliation that comes for Haman is not just dedicated. For Haman, it's dedicated for all those who are proud and enemies of God. Pride is a dangerous, dangerous sin. It is a sneaky sneaky sin. I want to encourage you, church. I want to implore you, church, to recognize if you don't want to be like Haman, utterly, totally, and completely humiliated, humble yourselves now. Humble yourselves before the Lord so God doesn't do the humbling for you, because he doesn't mind doing it. Right? It doesn't hurt God to send another person to humble you down to where you're supposed to be. Humble yourself now to avoid humiliation later. But God will humiliate his enemies. So if you're waiting on God to rectify wrongs, if you're waiting on God to solve the issues in the world around you, I just want you to know his timing is perfect. 
Right? If God had worked this story at a different pace, the resolution would not have been reached. If God had been a day later, Haman would have killed Mordecai. But God sees all of eternity in mind, and he is neither too soon or too late. He is always on time. And so whatever your need is, whatever your struggle is, whatever you feel needs to be getting accomplished on your behalf, I want you to know God is working and he's on time. He is not late. He will not be late. He is never late. He gets things done when they need to get done. You need to trust God and trust his timing. A lot of times we want to be the ish, the the, the, the um, the people who usher in God's judgment. Right? We want to be the ones who proclaim judgment on the nations or on the individuals. We want to be the one to right the wrongs that have been done against us. And I want you to know God is working on that. Don't take his job. He's better at it than you are. He's better at it than you are. Just trust God. Uh, years ago, I did a sermon. Uh, this was in Kingwood, so it's been seven or eight years ago now at least. Um, uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares. If you don't know the parable, uh, a man plants wheat in his field, the wheat grows, enemies come at night, and so kind of grass seeds, something that looks sort of like wheat as it grows. Servants go out a couple days after the, the other seed has been thrown. says, Master, there's this uh, weed growing in the midst of all of our wheat. What do you want us to do? Should we pull it up? Or should we pull up the, this, this, this you know, stuff that's mixed in with our wheat? And the master says, no, because if you pull it up, you're going to pull up the wheat with it. He says, just let it go till harvest time, and then we'll harvest it, and we'll sort it out there. Right? And there's, there, there's some truth there that sometimes we just have to wait. In that story, you are neither the harvester, the master, or the servants. You are the wheat waiting for the harvest. And you might be growing up beside wicked people who are doing unrighteous things. It works well in the church, by the way. That's the right application for it. There are people inside of the church. I won't say this church because I don't want to get in trouble today. But there's people in the church generally who look like wheat but are not wheat. And they're mixed in among us and they cause problems and chaos. right? And, and, and we have a desire, we, I'll say me, you may not, to root those people out. You have no right to be here. You are unredeemed. You're unregenerate. You need to leave, get saved, and then come back. We have a desire to do that. Pastors, at least, for sure, have that desire. But, but ultimately, what we're called to do is wait. Because there will come a time when God will separate what needs to be separated. There's going to come a time when God is going to bring justice, and he will not be late on that day. Some of you right now feel like God is late in bringing justice for an election result that did not go the way that you want it to go. It does not look like it's going to go the way you want it to go. And you think, I'm going to go and I'm going to fix this. I have a former student of mine, sort of, roughly former student of mine, who was talking about Second Amendment resolutions to this problem. Guns in the streets to solve an election that did not go the way he wants it to go. 22-year-old kid. Right, But he thinks that's the right solution because there's been this massive wrong done. You can feel like there's a wrong done. I don't, I'm not going to tell you how to feel about it. I'm just going to tell you if there was a wrong done, God has this covered. Right? This, this is not news to him. And unlike whatever news source you're choosing to read, he reads the right one. 
He knows the truth. And justice will be done. Whatever that looks like. It's not your job to bring justice in that situation. Be just. Behave justly. But don't be the mayor or the instrument of God's justice. God himself is the judge and the justifier. So we trust him. It works today, guys, I promise. Have peace knowing that God's timing is perfect. And so we trust his timing. We trust his deliverance. Because he's delivering people right now. Let's pray.